0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, uh, again, welcome and thank you for being here. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles, we'll be studying out of Colossians, the second chapter in just a few moments. Uh, there will be slides, but also if you want to borrow a Bible out of the pew, it'll be page 1046 in the Bible that's on the pew. This afternoon, uh, not long before the service began, we were able to rejoice with Jason Orsman, who was baptized into Christ. And you see Ben Reed there baptizing him, and we rejoice with his wife Anne and Jackson and Reese on the decision that he has made. He was baptized in the past, but had questions about uh, his first baptism and he wanted to make his calling election sure. He'd been studying that over and we rejoice with him. uh, We are impressed and it is a wonderful example to all of us of humility to simply say, I wanna do God's will. And the question is, when we open the scriptures, will we do God's will today? Whatever we learn that God is asking us to do it, will we do it? And that's how we know. If we truly are in line with the will of God, we've been thinking about kingdom reign and the idea of you allowing the Lord to reign in your life in everything. This morning, we looked at the very aspect that Paul cared. I know that sounds simple, but if you're here this morning, you realize the depth we tried to take that. It is One thing to look around and the people that you see face to face and say, I care for them. That's natural and that's good. We're not belittling that in this study. But we're also saying if we really understand this idea of living in a kingdom, we're going to under, we are going to grow to not only understand, but to deeply appreciate the kingdom wherever it is meeting. Wherever there are souls that are living under the reign of the Lord, there is something that is beautiful, that is powerful, and that is special in that bond that we have in Christ. And so our, our plea to us is to learn from the example of Paul. If Paul could care, as we see there in Colossians, the second chapter and verse one, that great conflict he has for you. It's that great burden, that great care that he has for them, whether it was the people of Colossae or Laodicea that he'd seen face to face. But even those that he had never seen to their face, he cared for them. But then we come back tonight to study the rest of this text to say, what does that mean? to say that I care for individuals. I'm not suggesting to you that the few verses we'll go over tonight is everything that it is to care for the kingdom. But it does give us some great insight to how would we care for the kingdom. Look there, if you will, in the second chapter, verse 1, we just referred to. Now let's go to verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged. And we're going to come back and develop that in just a moment. Being knit together in love and attained all riches the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge and the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. So we say, Paul, you say that you have this great conflict. You have this, this heavy burden of care or concern that you have for the kingdom. What is your concern? And he would say, I want the, each individual in the kingdom I want their hearts to be encouraged. Now, when we think about what does that mean to be hearts encouraged? One way that every now and then in the scriptures, the word heart is used is very often like we would think of the mind, the intellect. But then there's another way that it's used real commonly in the scripture, too. And that is to deal with the inner person as a whole. We do that today oftentimes when we see an athlete and and maybe he's not the tallest or the fastest, or maybe she doesn't have the most skill uh, or the most natural talent on the court, uh, but yet they seem to always be able to produce and they seem to play with a greater passion. And you know what we say about those people. We say the difference in that player is they play with heart. And what we're saying is there's something about the inner person and the way they approach the game that you can see it on the floor. Isn't it interesting that Paul has a desire and he says, I just want your heart, that inner person, I want it to be encouraged. And that word encourage is the idea to console. It is the idea to strengthen. And because of that is the idea to grant perseverance. Now, do you get that? Imagine someone walking along in life and maybe the burdens are heavy. Maybe they're getting discouraged and they start to walk a little slower and the burdens feel a little bit heavier. And Paul is saying, I want to be able to come along beside you. That's the idea of console. I don't want to leave you out there alone. I want to come out along beside you or I want somebody to come along beside you and I want you to be consoled. And in that, you're going to feel strengthened. It's a lot easier to walk together than it is alone. And then in that, instead of someone quitting, you have granted them the extra measure of encouragement that they won't quit. They'll go on a little further, a little bit longer, hopefully all the way into eternity. Now again, think about it. Paul, what is your care? He says, I want to encourage people. I want to encourage them, not just the outer casual. I want to encourage their heart. That inner person. Think with me about a few things that relate to that. Let's go back to the sister epistle of this and think about encouragement. Go to Ephesians 3. And we're going to see a prayer. And in this, we're asking: okay, how can we encourage others? Paul was great at it. How, how can we do this? Notice this prayer. And obviously, we're implying here we could pray similar prayers for each other. For this reason, Ephesians 4, 4 I'm sorry, 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know I'm stating the obvious here, but in other words, you can stop and say to Paul, Paul, why do you pray? And he'd say, this is the reason. This is the reason I get on my knees and I pray. For whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He's praying for the kingdom there. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, here it is, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul, what is your prayer? And I know we're stopping in the middle of the prayer there, but notice, what what is your prayer, Paul? And he says, my prayer is, is for individuals to have an inner strength that can't come from other individuals, an inner strength that can only come because inside, to the depths of their being, they are connected with the spirit of God The spirit of God is strengthening the inner man. And then the very next phrase, it's not the end of a sentence. The very next phrase he says, I want them to have Christ dwelling in them. Do you realize two phrases back to back he has said, I'm praying for them to have strength connect the spirit to the inner man. And he says to have strength connecting Christ to the inner man. Listen, religion is beautiful. And the people today that try to knock religion, it's wrong if what they're knocking is true religion. But please understand this. To take just a surface outer religion and think that that's what we're building our spiritual life around is so shallow. From a deep inner strength that is connected to God and His will, we'll definitely practice religion But religion is the result, not the starting point. It is the fruit, not the seed. It's what we participate in. It is not our relationship. Tonight, our relationship is not just with a religion. Our relationship is with the King. The Spirit of God in us. And Paul knew that if we're ever going to care for the church, the first place we have to start is making sure that the people are connected to God. It's beautiful. Paul helps us understand it so much. Now that doesn't mean that we can't encourage each other. Flip back just a few pages to 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter. I want to Show you quickly a time where Paul thought That he could strengthen some people in Thessalonica And It's not that this is contrary This is just another way that he was Going to try to strengthen them He couldn't be with them at that time And so in 1 Thessalonians 3 And in verse 2 he said And sent Timothy Our brother and minister of God And fellow labor in the gospel Of Christ to Establish you And what? encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. That last verse we read is, is bold. It's very sobering. Paul says, I know you've been going through some tough affliction and you and I both know that as Christians, we're appointed to that. The Lord doesn't ever say, become a Christian. I'll take away all the challenges that are difficult. I'll take away all the pain that cuts to your heart. I'll take away any persecution that might come your way. And no, Paul says, of course we knew. We knew when we said we want to be a part of the kingdom. We knew we were signing up for the same kind of suffering that the king signed up for to establish the kingdom. Paul says, we know that, but we also know this, as difficult as it can be, we all need encouragement. And he said, one of the things that I'm going to do to encourage you is I'm going to send Timothy to strengthen and encourage you. Isn't it wonderful that we find the depth and the core of our strength from God, but then God will oftentimes send others to walk along beside us and to encourage us. You know, if any of us have been a Christian very long, we know that it would be very close to impossible for us to walk the Christian life alone. We need each other. We need encouragement. We need people to come along beside us. I want you to pause for a moment and I want you to think about when you come along beside other Christians, are you an encouragement? Are you a stumbling block? Are you one that really helps them have that from the heart, from the depth of their being, that consolation, that strength, so that if they walk close to you, they are having granted to them a persistence. I hope that can be said of each one of us. Let's go back to our text in Colossians. Colossians, the second chapter. Notice we read verse two, that first part of what he wanted for the church, hearts that may be encouraged. But notice, if you will, the second thing that he said, being knit Together. And by the way, if you're reading on the screen and then you're looking down at your Bible, that's a typo. It's, each time you see that slide or one like it, it's gonna be Colossians 2, even though it says Colossians 1, okay? And so, so Colossians 2 there, look at verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. We just looked at that. Paul, what else did you want to, to offer in your care for the church? And he says, being knit together in love. Want to encourage their heart? And I want to unify them together in love. Love is powerful. Love is beautiful. Love trumps all things. What if we had all kind of knowledge, but we did not have love? Turn back to 1 Thessalonians 13. 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter And notice we're just going to pick out One of the verses that deals with comparing Knowledge and love and what if you have knowledge Without love look at 1 Corinthians 13 In verse 2 and though I have the gift of prophecy And understand all Mysteries and all Knowledge imagine that Someone could walk up to you and they could ask you any question about God and you know the answer. They could ask you any question out of the Bible and you know the answer. Sure, I know who Cain and Abel's wives were. Anything you could ask. Oh, I know all of that. And, and then notice this. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am Nothing. Paul, what do you want for the church? My care for the church is I want them to be unified in love. I want to have hearts that are encouraged, the inner person encouraged. But I want them to be not out there alone encouraged. I want them to be unified through the most beautiful and powerful gift that God gives us of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Those that are a part of the son, they have that love binding them together. Drop back a couple of pages again in 1 Corinthians, the eighth chapter. Some of you may know off the top of your head, this passage, others of you may have not read it in a while and you may say, wow, I'm kind of confused there, but let me give you a quick rundown of what might be the background to 1 Corinthians 13. We're thinking about love and how love is so powerful. And if you practice knowledge without love, it can become so repulsive it can become so painful to others. And this is an example. We think what was happening here in Corinth was that there were some idols, temples, where meat had been offered on altars as a part of their religion. And when the day was done and there was meat left over, they would gather the meat up apparently and they would take it down to the marketplace and they would sell it. Well, you can imagine Christians come along and that meat means nothing to them connected to an idol. And they walk up and they say, hey, this great cut of meat is for sale. Let's buy it. Let's take it home. There were young Christians. And what we wonder is maybe the young Christians have been converted out of that previous pagan faith. And they go to the marketplace and they say, we, we can't buy this meat. That, that's what we just left behind. And God, through Paul, is saying, there's there's not a problem. The origin of that meat doesn't really matter. You're you're not eating this meat as as part of your religion. And so you see, they had the liberty to eat it. But Paul in 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, is saying, look... Even though I have the liberty to eat this meat, if eating this meat is going to cause my weaker brother to stumble, I will not eat this meat. What is that, brethren? That's love. He could have stomped his foot and he could have said, I know the law of God and I'm going to stick with that and nobody is going to move me from all of the liberties that I have. This is the way Paul would say it. Look here in verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know... That we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. We never should practice truth without love. We never should practice love without truth. If you leave love out of the equation, knowledge will make us arrogant. And so you study the scriptures deeply. That's good. But what happens if you study the scriptures deeply without love? It can be very dangerous. Skip down to verse nine. I don't think we have this on the slide, but if you have your Bible open, look at verse nine. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Skip down to verse 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul, what are you doing? He's saying, I'm gonna make sure that I do everything I can do within the will of God to show love to my weaker brother. I'll sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice to show love to my weaker brother. Paul, what are you doing there? He's saying, I'm trying to make sure that we are unified in love. Now, as we think of this, This is a beautiful concept. Now, as you go back to Colossians 2 again in verse 2, the very same point we're making here, I want you to notice there that he says knit together. And of course, we're taking that word knit and looking at it as as to be unified. I want you to see that very same language. Later in this same chapter If you have your Bible open Just glance down to the second chapter And look at verse 18 and 19 Now 19 is where we're going to see The phrase knit together And what we have in 18 Is we have this idea of false humility That, that apparently what some of them were saying was I'm not worthy to go and, and to worship God So what I'm going to do Is I'm, I'm going to worship something lower than God Like the angels and, and you know And they were crying out Humility is what's causing me to do that and he says that's false humility there was nothing righteous about disobeying god's will and then claiming humility and so that's another topic but that's what's happening there that leads us to what is the answer you can cry out false humility but the bottom line is you turned away from christ and so look what he says in verse 19 and when they were doing that and not holding fast to the head that's christ from whom all the body nourished and knit together, that's the same language back in verse 2. Knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. We've got this increase from God, but how does it come? It comes first if you hold fast to Christ. Don't start worshiping angels, don't turn to anything, anyone else. Hold fast to Christ. Now, what are we studying? We're studying about being knit together in love. If you hold fast to Christ and 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 every one of us are holding fast to the same one, what happens to all of us? You're not holding fast to somebody out in left field and you somebody in right field and you someone in the south and you to the north. We're all holding to the same one. We are unified in love because we're all holding fast. On this next slide, you see a picture of of some beads. and, And in those beads, you would obviously see that there is one common thread running through those beads. What if in your life you're wholly devoted to the Lord, you're holding fast to the head, and everyone in this room is doing the same thing? We have one major, beautiful, wonderful, common thread running through us all, and what unifies us is Christ. And yet Christ teaches us to love. And so it's more than just one thing, if you will, even though we know God is love. But I want you to notice there that he says, knit together by joints and by ligaments. It's also interesting to think about, several of you have mentioned to me about a Facebook group that has been advertised, I guess you would say, over the last few days in Mount Juliet. And you recognized it from what we studied a few weeks ago in a lesson. Isn't that interesting? Good without God. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, no one is good but one. That is God. In Mark 10 and 18. Isn't that interesting? There is no one good but one. And that is God. And now there are individuals that are our neighbors that are saying oh, but we want good without God. And yet anything that they will do that is truly good is only because originally it was from God. James 1, God is the giver of all good gifts. And so even if someone wants to leave God out of the equation, all they can do to do good is to imitate the very one that they want to leave out of the equation. It's sad. But when we think about what links them together, we know what they don't want to link them together. They don't want that thread of Christ. And then you think about what about us in the kingdom? And Paul, what is it that you want? And Paul would say, I want to encourage your hearts, but I also want you to be unified in love. And that love starts and ends with Christ. And I'd like for you to see one more. You got your Bible open, still look at Colossians 3. And and by the way, that that you were leaving in in the second chapter, you see that word ligament in 2 and 19? I want to show you that very same word uh, from the Greek over here in the third chapter in verse 14. Now, <clears throat> if, if you want the background, you see in verse 12 of the third chapter, he's talking about things that we ought to add now that we've been risen with Christ back in verse one. And we add to our life things like tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing with one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave us, we must do. Look at verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection and that word bond is the same word for ligament and it is the very idea of what would hold two together we understand our joints hold two bones together and so we say okay there's a member here and a member here what's going to hold us together well in two and 18 and 19 he would say each of you hold on to Christ and Christ is going to hold you together but then also he would explain, but now there are other ligaments and bonds also that hold you together. And the greatest that holds you together is love. And did you notice there in 3 and 14, he says the bond of perfection. In other words, it is a bond that there's nothing wrong with it. Like when I say nothing wrong with it, I mean, absolutely perfect. That's why in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter in verse eight, he says, love never fails. You and a friend. If you two could perfectly practice agape, you would have a perfect relationship. But you see, we're imperfect. But if we truly could make a decision to do all the time what was good and best and right toward one another, if we could be sacrificial always toward one another, do everything that is right unconditionally toward one another, just practice agape perfectly, We would have a perfect relationship because you see, the only time our relationships are flawed, at least if we're the one to blame, it's when we stop practicing agape. That's why agape about it, it can be said like it never fails or it is the perfect bond it is truly the perfect ligament that would hold individuals together in peace, unified in peace. Let's look at one more, and we'll start bringing this lesson to a close. Is you still there at Colossians 2? Notice he said, hearts that may be encouraged knit together in love. And then notice this long phrase here. He says, attaining to all riches. Of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. Now, you understand there's a lot of phrases there, and I want you to capitalize, especially for just a moment, on that full assurance of understanding. Full assurance of understanding. Do you have confidence in understanding what the will of God is, which, skip down a few lines, the will of God is found in this treasure chest of wisdom and knowledge. Some of you may have been around construction sometime in your life. You may have owned your own company, and you know that there is a big difference in building a home as a spec home and building a home where someone has come to you and said, you can build it cost plus. Big difference, very little risk if the person really can pay their bills when they come to you and you're a builder and they say, hey, you build it, we'll cover all the expenses. And then when it's done, we'll give you 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent on top of whatever it was. And you say, wow, that is as long as you can trust that person, that's full assurance. This other over here is let me build this 250,000, this 350,000 dollar home. And I don't have a buyer. And it's under construction. I still don't have a buyer. We're about to finish it. I still don't have a buyer. It's been done a month. I still don't have a buyer. It's been done six months. Someone says, what are you doing? Well, I'm sweating. Why are you sweating? I built a spec home. Speculation. I speculated that someone would come along and buy this home. And they haven't come along and bought this home. And it's real difficult. You know, you can tell Christians that they speculate they don't ever study deeply and they don't put their full self and full faith into what they learn about God. And they live all the time in the shadow of doubt. And Paul says, you know what I want for the church, for the kingdom? I want them to be able to live in full assurance. How can you get that full assurance? Take this treasure of the Word of God. See how valuable it is. Look at all the wisdom you can gain. Look at all the knowledge you can gain. Don't let it lay around and never be put to use in your life. Love it, treasure it, learn it, live it, and invest all of your being in it. And you can walk around with full assurance Do you know if today was your last day that you would go to heaven? Can't you say, I'm in full assurance? How can you be in full assurance? Because I am not on a speculation mission with my soul and with God. He's given me this treasure. He's given me this treasure of his son. He's given me this treasure of hope. Do we value what he offers. Or do we treat it casually, doubtfully, in apathy? I don't understand why. But right now it seems like the people, that, not all, but some, that are running the quickest, they're running the fastest and the furthest from this beautiful book are Christians. Two weekends ago, I was speaking to some youth about Romans 1. We're going over the three I am statements. There in 14, I'm a debtor. And in 15, I am ready. And then in 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And there's a group of high schoolers and And I was pleading with them. I said, you know, before you know it, you're going to be going to college and you're going to be looking for a home church. And then you're going to be graduated from college and and you're going to move to a place and you're going to be looking for a home church. And I said, I want to make sure that when you go that you're studying straight out of the scriptures. And I said to them, what I've said to you in recent times, I said, listen, if the preacher gets up and he casually mentions one or two verses and that's the rest you hear about the gospel for the rest of the sermon, you hear what his philosophy is and you hear him quote what all other kind of men's philosophy are and then nothing else is said. And you know, I didn't say this to them because I'd never thought it before and I thought I better think through that. But what I almost said to them at that very moment, it just dawned on me. It was like an awakening. And you're going to say, well, this was simple. Why did you have to have an awakening? But listen, I I just thought, I said, how crazy is it that right now the people that are ashamed of the gospel are the preachers that are supposed to be standing in the pulpits and preaching it? Hey, why why don't you use a little more gospel in your sermons? Oh, you know, people don't want to hear that today. I wouldn't get people to listen to me if I preach gospel. Hey, why don't you put some gospel in your sermon? Oh, that's outdated. Listen, what people want today is a lot more self-help stuff. Listen, if you preach gospel, you're going to fail as a preacher. Do you hear? They might not say it that direct, but their actions are saying, I'm ashamed of the gospel. Let me casually refer to it, not treasure it very much. Lay it far away from the pulpit and just let me go with other stuff. Paul, what do you want? Paul says, I want people to have full assurance. I want them to have confidence in their faith. Where do you get that? Either this is a treasure or it's not. You value it. You love it. You understand it's not just a book. It is the word of God. It is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It gives us the words of eternal life. And tonight, I hope all of us can join Paul in saying, that's what I want for the church. Tonight, I hope you love the Lord. I hope you love his people. I hope you care. And if we can help you care in any way, if you're ready to become a Christian or you're ready to be restored, come as we stand.